The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of the Veritas Show, where you listen because you don't want to believe, you listen because you want to know. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for tuning in once again. If this is your first time, make yourself at home. This is episode number 27. If you're like me and are always looking for updates on disclosure, well, tonight is your night. For those of you who have listened from the beginning, you may remember how Stephen Bassett was Veritas's first real interview. Yes, Milton Torres was the first episode, but that was supposed to be a telephone call, not a show. Stephen Bassett's show back in December 2008 validated what you know today as the Veritas show. A few weeks ago, Steve contacted me again to talk about phase three of the Facts on Washington campaign. According to Steve, this closure is as close to reality as it has ever been. In addition, and per my request, we'll discuss a what-if scenario of the days and weeks after disclosure. What happens after disclosure becomes a reality? What fundamental changes will take place? Stephen Bassett will be with us shortly. The very test show is syndicated by the following affiliates. K-Rock's Zero Point Radio the Black Vault Radio Network, and the Paranormal Radio Network. 
WPRN 105.8 FM, New Orleans. You can listen to Veritas right on our website, on iTunes, and RSS feeds throughout cyberspace. We are heard in 132 countries. I want to welcome the following new countries listening to Veritas. Andorra, Belize, Botswana, British Indian Ocean Territories, Georgia, and that's not Georgia the state, Georgia the country, the former Soviet Republic, Grenada, New Caledonia, Sri Lanka, and Yemen. Thank you for once again giving us the international seal of approval. Our upcoming guests are Colin Andrews and Timothy Good, and a few surprise guests who will share crucial information with all of us. For updates, head on to our website, veritasshow.com. If you need to get in touch with me, send an email to mel, that's M-E-L, at veritasshow.com. Some people have asked me why I spell mel. It's because a lot of people type M-A-I-L, thinking I'm saying mail. So it's mel, M-E-L. Don't forget to stop by the Manticore Forum also, where you can send questions to our future guests and discuss many topics with members around the world. Last week, I mentioned our chat room, and we had a blast. People from all over the world joined, so we'll continue doing this Friday and Saturday evenings. You can actually go to our chat room 24-7 and interact with anybody who's there. But I usually drop by Fridays and Saturday evenings, schedule permitting. Simply go to VeritasShow.com and click on the chat button. By the way, happy Father's Day to all the fathers around the world. I want to thank you for all your comments about part one of our abduction special. And thanks to Yvonne Smith and her manager, John Loggins, for coordinating the show and making the abduction regression audio clips available to us. A few people have come forward and shared some of their experiences at our forum. So stop by and register at manticore.com. Part two of the abduction special will air next week, this time with Wheatley Strieber. In my honest opinion, I have never, and believe me when I tell you this, I have never heard Wheatley Strieber speak so openly, passionately, and candidly anywhere else. We are definitely privileged to have been able to interview him. He talked about so many topics, including his own abduction experiences. In addition, wait until you hear his theory of what happened to the Air France jet. I'm really debating if I'm going to air that portion or not. And this is somewhat of a short notice, but if you're in the Tucson area, in Arizona, and can make it, I will give a lecture at the local MUFON chapter on Saturday, June the 20th, from 1 to 4.30 p.m. I will be discussing the Veritas show and have a great presentation, including the best clips from the last six months. And here's a bit of my conversation with Whitley Strieber prior to starting our interview, in which he's open to talking about anything we want and also a preview of our upcoming show. The interview with Stephen Bassett will follow. Well, anything you anything you want. I you know can talk about. Uh, well, I, my new book, Critical Mass, has been some interesting stuff happening today in relation to the French jet that could be connected. Oh, we could talk about that. Uh, okay. We could talk about any of the alien stuff. Uh, anything that interests you. Truman's decision was a fatal catastrophe for mankind, and the fact that that decision, as recently as the Stephenville incident, which was staged 
by the visitors. That's why they went so close. They went just close enough to George Bush's ranch to rile up the Air Force, but not so close as to violate the rules and compel them to fire. And what did they do? They went up with fully armed jets and then lied about it. The visitors saw all of that. They saw the decision to go up with fully armed jets. They watched the lying that was done by the Air Force. I have done something to make certain sure that certain of this material will get out after I die. But uh, if I'm murdered, maybe uh, I'll be, um, maybe it'll get out in a different way than they would have hoped. That I'm, there's going to be an outpouring of this unspoken information from me. Uh, I have a lot, a lot to talk about that I haven't talked about because it, it was so hopeless. In May of 1989, I received an implant in my left ear. This implant was placed in my left ear by people, by a man and a woman. I saw them come into the room. And as I woke up, I heard a male voice outside say, condition red. Then, I, as I opened my eyes, I started to go for the lights. I had a big bank of light switches that could turn on these searchlights all over the house, floodlights. Started to go for those lights. As I went that way, I saw a woman standing near the foot of the bed and a man with a big beard behind her. I was lying on my right side and there was pressure on my head in waves on the side of my left side of my head and the woman's voice was speaking in a soothing manner. Yes, they are here and not only are they flying around the skies, you'll have them pop up in your bedroom and there isn't one thing that we can do about it and if you see them walking out of the house with your children in their arms, you're just going to have to let it go because we can't help you. I'm Steve Bassett, the executive director of Paradigm Research Group. The government's not telling you the truth about the ET presence, if you don't already know that. This is real. This is transcendent. And with your help, we can bring about the disclosure event where the United States government finally admits to this ET presence and lets us all in on what's easily the most extraordinary transition in event human history. We need to do this now because the world's not getting a nicer place to live. Things are not getting better, they're getting worse. And part of the reason is too many important things are being withheld from the people of the world about the world they live in. So they can make decisions about their nation, about their religion, about their actions. What do they want to do with their lives? Do they want to, do they want to hate? Do they want to kill? Or do they want to, to take this planet forward, solve the environment, and maybe even enter a galactic community? Think about this. You could be part of the most profound and extraordinary moment in history. But first, you got to get informed. Thanks. Stephen Bassett is a leading advocate for ending the 62-year government-imposed truth embargo regarding an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He's a political activist, lobbyist, commentator, and columnist. He's the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, and the Extraterrestrial Phenomena Political Action Committee, XBPAC, the creator of the Paradigm Clock, an executive producer of the X Conference. His work has been extensively covered by the media. And once again, we are honored to have with us, from the Paradigm Research Group, Stephen Bassett. Hello, Steve. Welcome back to the Veritas Show. How are you? Well, it's great to be with you again. 
It's our pleasure. First of all, Steve, uh, congratulations on another successfully done X conference. In the past six months, I've uh, had almost every X conference speaker on this show, with the exception of Colin Andrews, with whom I communicated this morning, and mm -hmm. he will be with me next week. And I didn't know he lived in the United States, by the way. He told me to say hello to you. Yeah, yeah Colin is here now, and uh, he's getting back into the game, uh, which is good. Uh, he put in a lot of years of work, and in fact, he got uh, at the at the X Conference 2009. He received the PRG Lifetime Achievement Award. For That's right. Thirty some years uh, investigating, uh, among other things, primarily the the crop circle phenomena, which is certainly one of the most intriguing uh, and and gratifying areas of this field. I mean, there's I don't, this is an extremely interesting issue, incredibly uh, implicative. Uh, but a lot of it is dark. The uh, the crop circle is is all pretty much good. It, it's just an amazing phenomenon that has gone on for so long. And and uh, I believe that in the early days, uh, the the circles of note were probably overwhelmingly extraterrestrial. And then over time, more and more human circles turned up. And so now there's sort of this dialogue going on of some uh, either intentional or unintentional dialogue. And, What's remarkable is that the human circles are every bit as good as the as the extraterrestrial circles, frankly, and uh, and, and and rarely make mistakes. I mean, enormous amount of effort is going into creating these these uh, the human circles. Now, Doug and Dave did a few things, but that was just garbage, and those guys were frankly just low lives. But uh, the real real circles being done by groups of humans are, are extraordinary in their in their uh, quality. So there's this amazing dialogue going on, and it's all done in, in crop fields uh, and with minimal damage, really. I mean, there's some damage, but it's not too bad. And then it's erased, and it comes back again. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a very, it's a hopeful sign that, that, that all of this will work out for the best. It's the, probably the most hopeful sign we have. And, of course, Colin was one of the early and most important researchers in the field, and he certainly deserved that award. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to be talking about two individuals who were found dead earlier this year. There were two crop circle investigators. Not part of tonight's subject, but I wanted to let the audience know that that's, that's one of the, the topics we'll be touching uh, next week. And by the way, Steve, thanks for allowing the transmission of X-Conference through Robert Fleischer, who did a great job. Yes. Uh, Robert Fleischer, with the help of Frederick Uldahl, Exopolitics Germany, Exopolitics Denmark, uh, live-streamed it. I mean, they had the, uh, they had the uh, capability and uh, happy to do it. And uh, but the, and then we have Sedona Media Company, Sedona S E D O N A Media Company dot com, did the AV on site, and they are selling the DVDs of the conference, whole sets and individual sets. So you go there if you want to to uh, pick up the uh, recordings of of those presentations. All, all the presentations were were recorded this time. Steve, what was different this year, X conference and previous years? Well, first and foremost, it was generally acknowledged to be the best X conference of the five. Good. Uh, I think um, because it was run tightly, there was a range of issues, um, and uh, plus there was a lot of excitement, too. Uh, people are clearly sensing something's coming. They know uh, we're maybe near the end of this fairly long journey. So the excitement level was up, and that just it makes the conference better. Uh, the live stream of the conference to to around the world on the internet um, was 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 different. 
The press conference afterwards at the National Press Club was expanded and far more successful. We had about 70 people in the audience. We had a number of media. We got a substantial article in both the Washington Post and the Washington Times the next day. A total of about 40 media mentions of that press conference, primarily focusing on the star of the conference, which was Edgar Mitchell, in the in the following days. And then CNN brought their high-end crew in and and live streamed the whole whole press conference to the web worldwide. And uh, at, at, at ParadigmResearchGroup.org, uh, on the main PRG site, you can actually see, scroll down, you can, you can look at the video of the entire press conference, which included other people. Roger Lear made a presentation regarding a uh, pretty substantial development in his work on implants in alleged contactees, where he's getting better and better at having these implants analyzed by sophisticated material analyst engineers. It was, it's kind of an esoteric thing. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that grabs the general public's attention, but we were glad that he was part of the conference and put it in play. Um, Richard Dolan uh, uh, announced uh, you know, in his second book, uh, right. UFOs in the National Security State, Volume 2 was out. And then, of course, Edgar Mitchell, called, for the first time, called on the administration to end the truth embargo. He'd never done this before. And then he was followed by Milton Torres, also a pilot, who served in the uh, Air Force. Uh, Edgar was in the Navy. And uh, uh, Mitch, uh, Milton Torres gave an impassioned account of the incident, incident where he was asked to shoot a UFO down in 1957 while on duty in the UK over the, over the channel. And uh, he was in a pea soup fog, and the, as he got close to this thing, he got pretty frightened because the thing was, was turning a radar report that indicated it was the size of an aircraft carrier. Right. Uh, before he could... Uh, uh, shoot, this aircraft carrier made some rather radical maneuvers and was gone. He was then ordered by the intelligence um, uh, uh, people who sent a representative down the next day to never talk of it again. And he only talked of it after the account was released in one of the uh, United Kingdom files um, releases that occurred in uh, mid, mid uh, last year which essentially kind of put it in the public domain, and he was immediately contacted by the media. And he was, he was really it was emotional because he had never been able to talk about it before. There are many, many Milton Tories out there. So this press conference is very successful. That was different this year, I think, the most successful yet. Uh, also different this year, we were hit hard by the economy, right. the, um, uh, the blowout, the, the collapse of Lehman Brothers, and the, the crisis uh, blew out around the last of October and the conference is scheduled for for April, which is just the worst possible time, and it, it, it undercut our advanced bookings quite a bit. We, we lost about 90 advanced bookings, which is a great deal of money, and it also reduced the walk-in. So we ended up losing about 26000 It was the biggest loss we've had, and I'm still trying to raise money to pay that off. Um, so that was different this year. Um, it, it, but the but the, the conference still had because we have a lot of media we had over forty media passes and we had many guests many special guests on uh, PRG supporters as well as wives of speakers we had over three hundred people there I mean the conference was quite uh, filled in that sense but we could handle as many as seven hundred and fifty so um, but that's you know everybody got hit by the economy believe me I mean I I lost a lot of money in the conference other people have lost their jobs their pensions uh, you know right. uh, their homes. Um, but it's reflective of the fact that America is going through enormous change, and a lot of this change is a result of simply bad policies going back almost four decades, bad policy after bad policy in a multitude of areas. 
And suddenly the price of these policies are all coming due at the same time, kind of like the way it is in people's lives when suddenly all their debts come due at once. And we're seeing enormous uh, cost, loss all over uh, in prestige, in money, in resources, in human production, uh, in prestige, uh, rather in, uh, in trust, uh, in public trust. Uh, and it, it's foreboding. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the American people who are showing some signs of, of, of awakening. And I'm not talking about the radical left or right who want to go to the streets and, and revolt. I'm, I'm talking about the mainstream middle America are waking up and realizing that they have neglected their civic responsibilities. They have allowed abuses to go on. They have allowed bad politicians to stay in office who should have been removed. They have supported bad policies. And uh, I'm hoping they've woken up in time. Uh, I'm in, involved in one area. And my colleagues and I in the disclosure movement is just one facet of a dysfunctional, dealing with one facet of a, a very substantial dysfunctional, uh, both national and global circumstance. But it's a big faction. It's a huge issue, which I think, if resolved <clears throat> in our favor, does offer a great opportunity to, uh, to, to lead to <clears throat> other things, particularly reform of a number of areas. So I think there's a lot at stake in the UFO issue, ultimately, turns out. And by, by UFO issue, of course, I mean the disclosure process leading to the finally the formal acknowledgement uh, that these ETs are here by our government so that we can now address the issue as a, as a society, as a species, as opposed to being in the dark and having it run by a few career individuals operating deep within the military intelligence community. Steve, phase three of the Million Faction Washington Initiative. Tell us more mm -hmm. on the latest and what you've been to accomplish, been able to accomplish so far. The main facts in Washington uh, is, is without question, the most important project of PRG in its 13 years. And uh, one might say that everything it's done uh, since it was formed in '96 led to this time, this moment. Um, uh, I registered as a lobbyist for Paradigm Research Group on behalf of a number of research organizations, hence the name Paradigm Research Group, in '96. But most of the lobbying has been of the media. Because of the truth embargo, lobbying the Congress and members of Washington is damn near impossible, as, and many can attest to that. Stephen Greer can, Edgar Mitchell can, and many others. I've had my conversations. I've had a few meetings, but there's a, there's a formal embargo on, right? There's no other issue in really in the country in, in, that has that embargo. There are a few that are super hot potatoes, like uh, the CIA and drug running, and you try to approach that issue in Washington, you're going to have a tough time, but there's, but there, but there's not a formal embargo on that. But on this issue, there is. So my, my effort's been on the media, and I have sent out in, in the last 13 years, I, I, I need to look into it a little deeper, but I think somewhere in the range of 300,000 press releases, and I don't mean individual releases, I mean press releases, you know, five, 6,000 at a time, totaling on the total number of maybe 300,000. In any event, look, the point is, is the media has been seeded and seeded and seeded. Uh, and of course, public awareness has been seeded as well, not simply by the disclosure movement, by everything. I mean, society's interest in the subject has only grown and grown and grown. Okay, all well and good, but, but where's the action? Where's the result? Right. And uh, what happened was, is that uh, I came on in '96. Uh, Clinton was uh, approaching the end of his first term. Bill Clinton was not going to, could not have been the disclosure president. The military intelligence community wouldn't have allowed it. George Bush couldn't be the disclosure president. Uh, the military intelligence community was not going to allow it. He, he did not cut the mustard, not even close. And there was a substantial breach between he and his father. 
and the old guard people who who if anything are in contact on this issue or in contact George, with the people who are George, George Bush, Bush Jr. was it because of lack of intellect since he had his parent his father had a strong connection with uh, he did the not military. have the intellectual power to deal with this issue of this magnitude right. he had primarily gotten to office by aligning himself with the evangelical right Right. Uh, he had breached. He had. He has. He had, he had broken from his father on national security and foreign policy. He would not listen to his father's advisors. He went to war in Iraq and disaster. Whatever you name it. I mean, the breach was extraordinary. Uh, it, toward the end of the Clinton administration, the military intelligence community was warming up to Bill Clinton. They they realized he'd done a pretty good job in terms of protecting the nation and uh, and using uh, national uh, or the military wisely. But uh, George W. Bush, they never warmed up to him. In fact, the breach was, I think, the most severe we've ever seen. Any event, it wasn't going to happen. Okay. So we knew that this election in 2008 was, was perhaps the, was it. This was the opportunity. This is the window of opportunity. There was evidence that I perceived that the Democrats had already made a decision that whoever, when they got back into power, they were going to uh, disclose. They were going to do this. So are all well and good. Furthermore, um, uh, as as, you, as it, 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 it looked like it was either going to be early on, it was going to be Clinton, Obama, or McCain, and I felt that all three were acceptable to the military intelligence community to be the disclosure president. So, okay, great. So the plan was then put into uh, into place in early 2008, and it, it was carefully planned, and it has gone so smoothly it's almost scary, but that's good. You know, sometimes uh, things go right. First, we had to do two things in 2008. One, we had to grow the disclosure movement network, build it up, more sites, more organizations, more activity, what have you, and that was accomplished, particularly with the spread into Europe. ExoPolitics World Network has been very successful. We've now got 16 countries and 18 websites. Uh, it's great, uh, and, and, and they're making great contributions. And then the second thing that had to be done was to get the UFOET issue into this, this massive political campaign year which was going to be the most expensive in history, the most covered in history, had probably more candidates we've ever seen in the debates. We had more debates than we've ever seen. So the opportunity was there to get this, uh, this issue into the mix, and we did. It was there, and the record shows that, including questions asked of the candidates, which happened late September. Okay, we accomplished that. Fine. So we set the stage for then the million facts in Washington which was cleverly named to sort of play off the, the concept of the Million March on Washington, which was right. the old paradigm of, of, uh, of uh, activism in a way. Uh, you got, really got serious about an issue, you put a million people in town. Okay, well, that, that cost a fortune to do. People can't afford that anymore. Uh, there's no time. They're all working three jobs. You know, getting a million people into Washington is probably may never happen again unless we have something really bad happen. It, it's all in, in, in cyberspace now. <clears throat> so I call it the Million March on Washington. A million facts, rather. Excuse me. <clears throat> so <clears throat> it has three phases. The first phase was launched November 5, and it was simple. We had to get as many letters and, and emails into the transition headquarters as possible of the new president, starting with the senator, senator's office and then switching over to the transition headquarters. And, and we did a lot of activity on the change.gov website, which was the transition's website. Uh, and it was... Know, unprecedented. They had all these op uh, engaging initiatives and projects and things, and the UFO ET issue was well represented throughout all of that. <clears throat> so uh, that went on for 77 days, all well and good. And then phase two began uh, with the inauguration. And then the, 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 the message was the same. It just shifted to the White House. Now, what was the message? The message was laid out at the, the, the center for all this, which is factsonwashington.org. 
And there, people found the key talking points, namely that the president should demand and receive full briefings on this issue from the military intelligence people. And, and if anybody said, you know, we're sorry, sir, but you don't have a need to know, that person would be fired on the spot and replaced by somebody who would then give the president what the president wanted. Secondly, the president would support congressional hearings for the witnesses that are emerging by the scores. Uh, thirdly, the president would call for amnesty. Uh, would support the idea of a, a presidential directive uh, giving amnesty to all those coming forward to talk about this issue who may be under national security restrictions. Fourth, that would we'd get the technology out. This uh, the physics of these flying saucers is badly needed to address the the overwhelming uh, problems that we now face as a species on a crowded planet that has pushed the environment to the limit. And five, of course, disclosure, ending the truth embargo, announcing ET presence, and. The goal was to then send these into the White House for the first 100 days, that, that legendary 100 days. We extended that to actually 131 days through May 31 because the extraordinary uh, circumstances that the new administration faced walking in the door, uh, I felt they needed more time. And that happened too. And, those, and, and in this case, of course, we had letters, faxes, and emails, all three going in to the White House, and I was copied on hundreds of those. So we know that thousands have gone in. Uh, the White House has yet to acknowledge any of that, but we I anticipated that. I didn't expect that they would. Okay, fine. And then of equal importance, during that 131 days, we or 38 days, we um, or 31 days rather, we um, a lot of media was done. You know, the press conference at the National Press Club and press releases from PRG, sending a message to the White House, which I'm sure they got, that the president needed to disclose. So they needed to do what they I think intend to do and get it done early, within that first 131 days, for three very important reasons. One, that if they, the longer they hold off on this, the, 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 the more likely this embargo becomes their embargo, and Barack Obama's name is going to be on it. And, and that means he's going to have to explain why he sat on this for however long he did, and that will pretty much destroy the entire open, transparent government reformist initiative. Completely end it, blow it up right there. Uh, and he's going to have some explaining to do. Uh, secondly, that we need that fit the physics of those flying saucers. We need them now. We we, we really don't. every day we wait. There's a cost that's being paid, uh, and we need it out immediately. And it's in our best interest to do so. And third, and this may be the key one, that the evidence is mounting that if the United States does not disclose the ET presence very shortly, another nation will do it for us. And that and seems that to be the case. Legacy. Yes, go ahead. No, that seems, I'm saying that that seems to be what uh, the sounds that we hear from around the world, it seems that another country outside of the United States sure. will be the one yeah. disclosing. Well, I mean, it's going to happen one way or the other, and, 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 and if we don't do it, uh, that's, that's what's going to take place. There was a time, it's been a while, but there was a time when the United States called the shots in the Western world. If we said jump, everybody said how high. That ship sailed a long time ago. We simply do not control the first world nations, um, and they frequently uh, oppose us in our policies, which have in many cases been rather bad. They have their own space programs, China, Japan, Europe. Uh, they're out there. There's stuff out there they're probably already seeing. And, of course, they've all known about the ET presence. One element, elements within the governments of all the first world nations and China and the Soviet Union have known about the ET presence going back as far as you want to go. But uh, the Western world went along with the U.S. on this truth embargo because they felt they owed us, which they did. 
the Communist China and Communist Soviet Union did not disclose because I'm pretty sure they felt, certainly during the Cold War, that it would have been a huge threat to their ideological control hegemony. Uh, so it just wasn't going to happen. Now, of course, the Soviet Union is gone. China is a much more complicated nation now, seeking prestige and recognition since it has one-sixth of the world's population. And so uh, the idea that China would disclose is hardly far-fetched, and, and Russia perhaps not so much. But uh, France, China, and the United Kingdom are the likely three candidates, and I could go on for some time of what's happening there. But the point is, is that if you're paying attention, you know that these countries are sending clear messages. So that's it. We sent that message to the administration. I'm sure they heard it, and they didn't disclose. May 31 passed, so we kicked in phase three. Now, phase three is the culmination of all of this. Uh, the goal of the million facts in Washington was disclosure. It wasn't in, 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 uh, increase the awareness a little bit. It wasn't uh, uh, get the message out. It was disclosure itself, no less than that. And that's exactly where we're headed. And here's why. Uh, we've, we're have we making a shift in strategy here, but it's a very, very uh, potent strategical shift, and that is this. The target shifts now from the White House, or at least the main White House where the president lives, uh, to the right, as it were, down the hall into the West Wing, into the White House press briefing room. The, pro the target now is the White House press corps. All of the next correspondence, in fact, it's already started, is now heading their way. But not individually. We're not just sending stuff to individual reporters. We're sending it to them care of their only representative organization, which, of course, is the White House Correspondents Association, the WHCA. That's an organization holds that wonderful dinner every year where comedians come in and make fun of the administration. Um, they are the sole representative of these groups, of these individuals. Now, there's quite a few reporters in the press corps, and they have more access to the president than all the political media in the world combined. They're in there every day, five days a week, and you can see them if you have CNN, C-SPAN, and you can see these briefings on a regular basis. They, they technically can ask anything they want. Uh, and on this issue, they have stood down for 62 years. And so now what's happening is they are getting letters, faxes, and emails, care of the White House Correspondent Association right now, and these this correspondence has one fundamental message. We have waited long enough. It's now time for you to do your job on this issue you need to start asking the appropriate questions and demanding appropriate answers. To help in that regard, um, we have at factsonwashington.org, you can still find the archive of Phase 2, where you can get the White House information and the original talking points and send letters to them and emails to the White House if you want to. That's fine. No problem. Keep doing it. But you will now find there at the main factsonwashington.org page, you will find 15 questions which have been carefully selected, uh, which hook this issue to the administration and major players in the administration and then the Democratic Party, which makes it news, which makes it relevant, which makes these questions important. And the reason we can do this, there are two reasons why we can do this very effectively. One is the work of Lawrence Spellman Rockefeller, billionaire son of John D., the out-of-the-box Rockefeller, who had far more reaching interests than the other brothers. 
And over the years, he funded a number of uh, 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 programs in, in, in crop circles in the UFO area. He funded John Mack uh, and uh, was clearly interested and knowledgeable about the UFOT issue. And Rockefeller made the decision in, 19, in 1992 that whoever won the presidency, whether it be Perot, Bush, or Clinton, that he was going to approach the administration uh, requesting that he be able to send a letter to the, uh, to the, to the president, president and, uh, uh, and that letter would be appealing for uh, the release of all UFO documents, for amnesty for people coming forward uh, to speak on this issue, reinvestigation of Roswell, these kinds of things. And, and he even talked about placing a full-page ad in every single newspaper in the United States, which would have cost a large sum of money, and yet for him it would have been nothing. Uh, Steve, this you're, is, referring, this you're referring to the uh, the Rockefeller Initiative now. What is now called the Rockefeller Initiative, wasn't called right. that then, that lasted from March of 93 to uh, fall of 1996, went on for three years. A lot of researchers were involved, reports were done, studies were done, a book was created, a conference was held, uh, conducted by the Human Potential Foundation, which was run by the leader, kind of the lead, uh, working on behalf of Rockefeller, uh, C.B. Scott Jones, called uh, When Cosmic Cultures Meet, and so forth. This went on for a long time. Now, it's a big deal. I mean, by any reasonable assessment, it was a big deal. The press didn't cover it. One article appeared in the New York Post, and that was it. Because, again, there's an embargo on and for the press to have covered this would have raised the issue. I say the press at the high end, but no press covered it. But at the high end, it would have definitely raise the issue and threaten the embargo, so they didn't do it. But a lot of people knew about it, knew it was going on, and were involved in it or responded to it. Uh, and these people have never discussed it, have never answered a question about it in their career. And we're talking now 15 years since it was over, 16 years since it was over. Now, who are these people? Well, interestingly enough, they are as follows. The president of the United States at the time, Bill Clinton, who is a major player in the Democratic Party, significant influence on the presidential administration. Uh, his wife, the first lady, Hillary Clinton, who is now the secretary of state, knew about it and was involved in it. We have the documents confirming that. Uh, the chief of staff at the time of the Rockefeller Initiative, who knew everything going on in the White House, is, is, was Leon Panetta, now the director of the CIA. And the key advisor, one of the top advisors to President Clinton at the time, who was actually involved in responding to the initiative and to the limits that Clinton could, became the, the co-chair of the Obama's transition team. John Podesta. John Podesta. And he went so far as to call for the release of all UFO documents, basically following up on Rock, what Rockefeller wanted and did that in 2002-2003 at the National Press Club where – where uh, astronaut Edgar Mitchell just called for the release of these records on the end of the truth embargo. Uh, and let's also throw in Bill Richardson, who was uh, very close to the Clintons, went on to become Clinton's Secretary of Energy and Ambassador to the UN, called for the release of the all rock re records pertaining to Roswell and challenged the Air Force explanation in 2004, then ran for president, now the governor of New Mexico. All of these people have never responded or been asked questions about this. And, of course, they are all embedded in these questions, which are now up at facts on Washington.org, along with questions about a response to Edgar Mitchell's call, about polling data, and other things. Now, that's the first major reason why uh, these questions are valid and important and relevant. The second thing that supports what we're doing, the most important, second most important component, is the work of Canadian researcher Grant Cameron. Right. Based out of Manitoba. Uh, Grant 
took it upon himself uh, approximately 10 years ago. I was drawn into the issue of UF, U.S. presidents and, and their involvement with UFO ET issues and proceeded to then go about c- creating what is now the largest archive in the world of that information, all of which is housed at his website, presidentialufo.com. Uh, and uh, in, in all of that material is what I consider the most important section, which is the section regarding the Clinton administration, which, of course, includes quite a bit of material about the Rockefeller Initiative. Uh, as part of his research, besides going to the National Archives and the Presidential Archives, he submitted a broad-based Freedom of Information Act requ- uh, request in 2001 of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, which is the door that Rockefeller went through. At that time, it was headed by John Gibbons. The Office of Science Technology Policy, as a quirk of law, was not part of the Presidential Records Act applying to the executive branch. It was outside of it. Bush, uh, George Bush later changed that and, and, and pushed the OSTP into the Presidential Records Act after he had then imposed restrictions on the Presidential Rac- Records Act to make it more difficult to get files from it, particularly uh, well, as pertained to the you know, presidents like Reagan and, his, and, and even his vice presidential, the vice presidential files of his father. Uh, all of which is rather interesting. Um, and so because it was exempt, he got a 1,000 pages of documents confirming the whole Rockefeller initiative, A to Z, including the involvement of Hillary Clinton. And uh, that, of course, is the basis for a lot of the Clinton material at presidentialufo.com. I, have, I became deeply involved in that myself. And at my website, I have a section where 173 of the most important of these documents are actually right there on the web. You can read them as well as material and about the principles involved and everything else. So there's two fairly sophisticated sections on the Rockefeller Initiative, among others, one at my website, one at Grant Cameron's website. This work is critical, and so the upshot is this. When a citizen goes to factsonwashington.org now, or remember the press, the White House press corps, goes to factsonwashington.org and looks at these questions, what they will find embedded in these questions are links to all of the supporting material justifying every single one of them. FOIA documents, photos, videos of of Podesta calling for the release of the documents, questions asked of Kucinich and Richardson, polling data, the whole Rockefeller initiative section at presidentialufo.com. Complete full support of these questions, documenting the validity of them, the truth of them making it basically a no-brainer for any member of the press to ask the questions and on getting a non-response, follow up and, and demand to have a proper response. So we've made it pretty easy, not only for the citizens to to act, meaning, you know, they they realize they're on solid ground here, but for the press to act. This this is now open the door for something big to happen. And here's why. The fact is the truth embargo could have ended at any time in the last 17 years, certainly, and and I would even go back as far as 25 years. At any time, all it would have taken is for a handful of reporters in the top tier where the networks, where the major papers reside, and, of course, where the White House press corps operates, just a handful, no less than three, no more than five, to simply dig in and go, look, we're going to ask ask the appropriate questions here. We're going to force some answers. And had they done that, they would have triggered – essentially a media uh, cascade of media questions that would have ended the embargo in a few weeks. They never did it. They never asked those questions. They simply Why? Why didn't they do it? 
because there's a truth embargo on. And, and, and the understanding and the protocol was this. You don't ask about this. In other words, the truth embargo, it looked at another way, was a 62-year-old don't ask, don't tell policy. You don't ask, we don't tell. Don't ask, don't tell turns up a lot in government, a lot more than you might think. It's really all over the place, and it's uh, poison, toxic poison. And we need a, a don't ask, don't tell free government as soon as possible, among other things. Elsewise, America become an afterthought uh, on the world stage. So they didn't ask. The government didn't tell. Everything goes along. Get to keep your job, keep your paycheck, get all those perks, go to the White House, whatever. Well, those days need to end. I mean, I don't know how many messages the American people have to get before they hold the press's feet to the fire. Now, the fact is, in the last two years, the media is coming around. I've logged in to over 2,000 articles in the last 30 months, uh, mainstream English language covering this issue. So from the lower tiers on up, the, the coverage has been, has been increasing dramatically, pushing up against that top tier, that glass ceiling, uh, putting even more pressure on them to, to jump in. And, and there's been indications that they're moving that way. Documentaries on ABC, CNN, the, the, the Larry King coverage, all of this is in, indicative that the mainstream top tier is starting to move our way. So they're ready to go, but they're not quite able to take that fight. They're not able to jump off the high dive. We just need to. So what I'm asking is for the American people to walk out on the, on the diving board and just push them off. And that's what this correspondence is about. Now, there's two kinds of correspondence that we're sending, and, and it's going in. I, I, I know this is happening. I'm getting copies on a lot of this. First, uh, we're asking everybody who's already sent a letter to the president-elect and the president over the last uh, – between November 5th and, and, and May 31 to copy that letter, fax or email, to the White House press corps and saying, I sent this to the president. Just wanted you to know. This is important. We need the press corps to have tactile in the, uh, evidence in their hand that this stuff has happened, that this correspondence has been sent, so they don't have to take the administration's word for it. All right? That's it's powerful. And then secondly, I need all of those people and everybody else out there within the sound of my voice and your voice to send a letter to the press corps telling them we want you to ask these questions and then perhaps taking and selecting a few of the questions at factsonwashington.org that you like and tossing those in. In particular, I want you to ask this. Right, and get that in as soon as possible. Send a fax, an email, and a letter. Right, all three. Now, I have been asked, by the way, should we call the White House Car, the White House Correspondent Association? And the answer is definitely no. Do not call them. This will disrupt their business operations and will be counterproductive. Don't do that. Send a letter, a fax, and an email. And if we do, what we're doing is we're sending a message to the, and but not just to the White House press corps, by the way, because there are also top-end political press covering the Department of State, where Hillary Clinton is, the CIA, where Leon Panetta is, uh, and the Department of Energy, where that noted Nobel Prize physicist, and a lot of other places. And these questions are pertinent to a lot of uh, their coverage as well. So, but the press corps is the focus. We need you need to focus to have impact. So, th what we're sending them is a message that we have their back. We know it's tough. We know there's been an embargo on. We know there's a ridicule curtain. We know all of that. But times are changing. There's Pulitzer Prizes to be had, and we need you to do this for, our, for us, right, for us. We are the people that buy the advertisements that makes your organizations viable. We are paying your salaries by supporting those newspapers and those networks by buying the advertising product. Right? You don't work for the government. You work, if anything, for us. You work for your, your hiring organization, and you work for us. We pay your bills, not the government. And we need to say that, you know, so go ahead. We have your back here. It's a simple message, but a powerful message. And we don't need the whole White House press corps to jump on board. We just need about three, four, five. That's all.
But Steve, and they ask some questions and don't get the right answer, and the next thing you know, this thing is off and running. Let me interject here for a second. And as you know, I like to play devil's advocate, although I'm, I'm with you. I want disclosure. But yeah. mm-hmm. what makes you f- believe? I remember back in 2001, during the Disclosure Project, I sent a letter to my congressman, and the response was a letter saying yeah. ever, since, ever since Blue Book, there's no evidence that there's extra, you know. Which is have not your, true. Exactly. And, and that letter usually says we don't investigate it, which is not true. So in addition to don't ask, don't tell, there's just outright deception, too. I mean, just flat-out deception, though the member of Congress may not know that. They're, they're just reflecting back the policy the government's told them, right? And they go along with But let me tell you something. I can assure you with high confidence that easily more than half of all the members of Congress and all of their staff personally, privately, believe the ET presence is real. So when they send out these letters, uh, they, they, they may not be lying in the sense that they don't know for a fact that the, there's no investigation of UFOs going on or that, the, uh, that, the gov- that there's nothing to it. But personally, they, they, they believe otherwise. So they send it out anyway because, again, there's an embargo on. If, unless you're older than 62 years old, you have never known a single day of your life that wasn't under the truth embargo regarding the ET presence. That's all you've ever known. And that's true for everybody on the Hill that's under 62, members of Congress under 62, members of the military, members of the press, which is fairly young, the press. And so the entire press, probably 99% of the entire press corps in America has never known anything but a truth embargo. These things develop a life of their own until eventually they blow up. Let me go back to... Let me go back to Grant Cameron for a second. And by the way, yep. congratulations. I believe you, you, you co-wrote a book with them, UFOs and uh, U.S. Presidents, The Secret History. How's that going, by the way? Uh, that book is on hold, um, frankly, because the demands of the advocacy right now are overwhelming. Uh, let me be clear. This is – I'm not I'm – not, I, I'm really not exaggerating. We are right on the threshold of disclosure. The window of opportunity is wide open. It's a complex, difficult political maneuver. There are enormous forces operating here. There are enormous problems in the world today. But the American people need to understand we are right on the threshold of disclosure. Either the United States is going to do it or another world, another nation is going to do it. And the advocacy movement's goal is disclosure. That is first and foremost all that is important. I mean, that is the most important thing. And so uh, things like books and so forth are just uh, second, secondary. And so I've, I've had to step away. Um, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot uh, invest any time but other in pursuing this advocacy ad- ad- agenda, and I'm, I'm absolutely, completely buried in it. So the book's on hold. But well, that's there'll, fine. There'll that's be fine. plenty of books on this in due course. There will, I'm sure Grant, I'm sure a book on this is going to get out there, and Grant will author it, and, and it'll happen. But right now, I'm focused on the advocacy. Uh, it's simply too important. It's got to be. Uh, we've got to. We've got to finish this race. It, you, you can't just run 26.1 miles and then a few yards from the finish line, sit down, and take a nap or go to sleep uh, or leave the course. You, you've got to finish. And so we're near the finish line. We've got to get this done. Um, so, uh, and, and we are very close to that. This is the time that I've heard you probably be most definite, most definite about disclosure. Why are you so sure that this is going to happen now? Well, it's based upon 13 years engaging it um, by paying attention, by seeing what's going on, by, by reading all the news articles, all the thousands of them. 
by by being aware of the, the, the developing movement, what the other countries are doing, and, and, and aware of what people in the administration have said and what have you. I mean, it's, it's essentially what I do. And I'm saying to you that based upon everything I'm seeing, that we are as close to disclosure as we've ever been. But that doesn't mean it'll happen. I mean, the government can dig its heels in and uh, and refuse to do it. And maybe our back-channel intelligence people will contact all the first-world nations like France and so forth and tell them, I don't know, if you disclose, we'll nuke you or so. Who knows? I mean, it doesn't guarantee anything. <clears throat> I don't predict the future. I just I just give assessments of where we're at. Um, disclosure will happen when it happens. But I, but I know this, that it's close, and I also know that the people are in a position to have influence on this, right? Because it is close. Uh, you know, when it term, when it term, effectuating major change is 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 a matter of timing uh, and leverage, right? If enough people are willing to grab a hold of the lever, and you wait to the right time. A, a modest amount of people, you know, we're not. You know, change happens not because seventy percent of the American people or people of a nation want to go somewhere. It's because of a, a, a significant minority of people committed to change press the issue forward. All right, and that's how all social advancement takes place. So you don't need the entire country holding on to the lever. You just need a reasonable number of people willing to grab that lever, and then when the timing is right, you can move mountains. All right, and what I'm saying is, is that the truth embargo is 62 years old. Some people believe it'll never end. Some people believe the Soviet Union would never collapse, but it did because the pressures became great enough and the people exerted their will at just about the right time. Same thing here. Right now, we don't need a lot of people. It's called a million facts on Washington. I, I've told you why. I mean, it's a play off of a, a, you know a known phrase. It's a clever play, but in fact. 20,000 letters, faxes, and emails into the White House Correspondence Association would get their undivided attention, I can assure you. Are there 20,000 people out there that are tired of this charade, want to end this, want to get the truth about this, want that technology? All there are, they need to act. I'm saying if they act now, if they act in the month of June right now, based on this target, and remember, the White House is a big target and gets a massive amount of mail, and, and that was setting the stage, right? I don't know how many letters and faxes and email would have taken to actually directly move the administration to disclose. It might have taken 10 million. Not so with the press. The press is the lever that we are leveraging the administration through the press, right? So it doesn't take that many people to get the press to to step forward here. I believe they're ready to do it. They just need a clear sign from us. So right now. A few thousands of Americans, if they can take a few minutes to write the White House Press Corps, care of the White House Correspondents Association, a letter saying we want questions about this issue appropriately asked and answered, and and then draw their attention by links to the questions that are on that website right now. I don't believe those questions could be asked of any member of the administration without very very shortly triggering a media firestorm. You keep burn the truth embargo to the ground. You keep mentioning France. And before we talk about what other countries are doing to push the disclosure process forward, let me refer to a recent article that I presume you also read about France being poised for disclosure. Let me quote a snippet. The words, nous ne sommes pas seuls, or we are not alone, will be somberly pronounced soon by a senior government official of the nation that brought the world liberté, égalité, fraternité. 
France is set to concede that it is aware of an alien presence on Earth by no later than Friday, June the 12th, 2009. That was last week. Paris has chosen to follow the lead of maverick UFO nation Brazil and resist U.S. pressure to continue delaying disclosure until America feels it is ready for the event. It is believed that a telephone hotline has been set up in Paris to deal with queries from panicky citizens. A special division of France's police departments is also to be established to handle UFO reports. The French have gone to so much effort to protect their culture from encroaching Anglo-Saxon influences, and now they are preparing to protect their culture for what might be even more powerful extraterrestrial forces. It is believed Holland and Germany are set to soon follow France's lead. And by the way, this article was written by Michael Cohen. Steve, how much credence do you give to this article? Well, a report like that is only good as its source. Uh, the, uh, and I have, I've, I have talked to Michael, and I'm, I'm aware of this. Uh, first, that last sentence in the article is a bit gratuitous about France protecting itself from that's, uh, you know, that's not. I mean, it's, 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 an, it's an empty line, but I, I'm sure that has nothing to do with what's going on. Um, first and foremost, you, you have to understand that the, the Brazil is no maverick country. Uh, there, there are countries all over the place that are starting to dump files, cooperate with researchers at a high level, the level of their air forces, their ministers' defense. I'm including Brazil. I'm including Mexico. Uh, Sweden has a pub, uh, there's a, pub, a public group that has now opened up a massive archives of the Swedish files, probably with the cooperation of the Swedish government behind the scenes. Denmark's releasing, UK's released tens of thousands, Canada has been releasing for three years, uh, France, of course, has been releasing, plus they had the report, the committed report in 2000. Look, when I say the nations are breaking ranks, I'm not whistling Dixie here. It's, they're breaking ranks all over the place. Um, and so, um, this article needs to be viewed in that context. Now, the, 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 the source is allegedly the Toulouse Space Center. All right? Somebody within that. Anonymous, which is typically the way this is done. So is it, is it accurate? Is, it, is this individual within that center uh, misread something, misunderstood something? Will they change their mind? Who knows? So will something happen by Saturday, which is when supposedly it will happen? Don't know. If I had to put my money down, I'd want 10 to 1 odds. Still, that's still pretty good. I think what's notable, however, is that this article has generated quite a bit of attention. And the reason it's developed quite a bit of attention is because there are quite a few people out there that are not surprised at all that France might do this. So in a way, even if it's not in fact about to happen, it might have been something else. It might have been another shot across the bow, just another way of sending a message to the United States. We're losing patience here. This is the way things are often done, right? And so this is just another message to the administration. Uh, not that I suppose they couldn't send that message through back channels to the administration. But the advantage of sending the messages this way in the public arena is that it, it excites the public. It helps put additional pressure. If you send a back-channel message to another country saying, we, we need you to do something on this, then the other country can say, screw you. Well, okay, that's the end of that. But when you send these messages in the public arena, like France did with the Cometa report in 2000, and with this, quote, alleged uh, report – um, well, the report's not alleged, but the the uh, the, the alleged uh, uh, disclosure is 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 uh, not not known yet. Uh, you you are inter you are engaging the press and the public, which brings open pressure on your target, which in this case is the U.S. So that's how I view this. Uh, I can assure you that if something happens on Friday, 
uh, it could be quite dramatic, depending upon how high uh, the official is in the French government that that makes this comment or statement, or what the, the, which particular department releases it, and how definitive it is. But if it's high enough and definitive enough, it will be a big deal. Uh, I personally do not think that if if a major country, if a France, if a, if a France, or uh, if a significant first world country were to to announce the ET presence, uh, even without providing any uh, corollary proof, which I think they could do, that it will it will trigger a media firestorm, uh, and that that which is what PRG is trying to do with a million facts in Washington. It'll do it for us. It'll do the job for us, and that media firestorm will end the truth embargo probably within three weeks. And with the Air France jetliner that crashed en route from Brazil to Paris, the web mm-hmm. is getting filled with possible motives uh, or conspiracies. I had Willie Strieber last week with me, who had his version. Following the article I just read, I read someone saying that the Air France crash could have been a signal not for France not to disclose. Why have we become so cynical that everything smells like false flag? We were born cynical. We weren't born cynical. We were made cynical. It's almost a saying sure. everything is possible. Don't you think? Sure. We've lived under a truth embargo for 62 years. We've been lied to about everything. I think, I think the decline of America, or this particular, I guess you could say, decline of America, You know, all nations and you know, kingdoms and what have you uh, go through cycles where they, they go up, they go down. But sometimes they go down never come back. Uh, this particular decline, in my view, started with the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which I think was passed in 62, 63, I forget the exact time. And it's been downhill from ever since. And the amount of, you know, and, and, and one of the key issues, one of the key driving forces, some of the driving forces are systemic institutional mendacity and systemic institutional hypocrisy. Uh, so people are incredibly cynical, and this truth embargo, which on the ET issue is one of the you know is is easily the biggest deception by any state ever in the history of the world. So and 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 and, and then there's other you know so there's plenty of stuff we develop a cynical population, and so consequently everybody's looking for the conspiratorial or the the uh, the mendacity and misrepresentation of everything, looking for the hidden hand, and this is this is not healthy and not constructive. Uh, and often uh, is counterproductive. With, res- with respect to the Air France thing, you know, I, I think the chances of there being a UFO connection to that are min- minimal. You know, million to one. I mean, the, the chances are very slim. So these kinds of conspiratorial assessments are not not helpful. Uh, I'm sure the family of the of the uh, of the, the of the uh, dead passengers and crew don't don't need this kind of confusion and speculation. But yet I have a certain sympathy for those that grab for it because uh, it's like I have a certain sympathy for the 911 uh, theorist. Uh, I happen to think that the vast majority of the 911 theories simply don't hold up. But I have great appreciation for why people are being so aggressive and dissecting this thing and so suspicious of the government. I mean, is given the dramatic aspect of it, given all of the unknowns, and given just how much lying has taken place in this country for the last 50 years. Always, in most cases, uh, you know, supported under the national security uh, aegis. Uh, uh, nobody believes anything anymore. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm understanding. But none of this is helping the country. We're all, we're all. This is not. I mean, maybe put it this way: cynicism, conspiracy theories, and all that are are, are one thing, but they're not really getting you anywhere. I mean, you, you don't. You actually have to start taking specific measures. You have to. You have to take action. You have to 
to execute reform. Otherwise, you just, you just drown in a sea of cynicism. And so what we have not seen is a conversion of, this, uh, of, of uh, the distrust and dissatisfaction and discontent of the American people into an appropriate level of reformist, reformism. Just haven't done it. Uh, so, you know, we've we become masters at complaining, but yet not masters of social action. Now, I'm not, obviously, this is not uh, universal. I mean, there are, there's plenty of social action out there. There's plenty of activism and efforts to try to make things better. It's just not enough. You know, let's face it. If, if you're going to win the game, you got you got to score enough runs. I mean, you can say, look, we, we tried hard and we scored four runs, but we lost by nine runs. You know, that's the way it is. And, and if you're heading over the falls... Uh, if you're going to go over a thousand foot falls, which almost certainly means your death, I mean, you can appreciate that you're paddling hard, and you can tell everybody in the canoe, you know, I really appreciate you're paddling hard, but if you're not paddling hard enough, you go over the falls. I mean, that's just the way that it is. And so the issue is not that there aren't people that want change. There is issue is we don't want have enough people that want change, and that matters, right? You don't get points. This is not a horseshoe contest. You either effect a change or you don't, and if you don't, you pay the consequences. So one of the issues is the truth embargo. We either end it or we don't. We can complain about it. We can bitch about it. We can, we can be cynical. We can, we can look for UFO connections to everything. But if we don't end the truth embargo, what is the point? And so I'm saying to people, if you want this embargo to end, you need to take action. We've done our best. The disclosure movement has done its best to try to find means to effectuate this change. And there have been many approaches. Right now, uh, PRG has is, is got its initiative in play. And uh, I happen to feel it's 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 uh, um, it's promising. Uh, and uh, but is there no guarantees? There's only two ways this fails. Because I mean I, I know enough about the media and how they work. There's only two ways this fails. One, not enough Americans are willing to take the 10 or 15 minutes it takes to send a fax email or or letter to the press corps at the address at faxonwashington.org, and they just don't send them. Okay, fine. Then the press don't get the message. Or they get the other message, like, nobody cares. Why do I want to bother asking this question? Or, and I don't think that'll happen. I think they're going to send these letters. Then the only other way it fails is if the media, the press, on the other end, decide that even though they're getting this message, they're just going to continue to go along with this embargo. I happen to believe that they're very they're very ready to, to, to change, that they're close to acting, and that we're going to get what we want. They're going to do what we want. They're going to ask these questions. Uh, but I could be wrong. They may let us down again. Look, when you go to the White House, when you go to factsonwashington.org, uh, the first thing you see is a photo of the White House briefing room. And underneath that is a quote. And that quote comes from uh, Joseph Pulitzer, and it was on a plaque. It's a quote that was from Pulitzer put on a plaque given to the National Press Club in 1962 on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of the uh, Columbia School of Journalism, and, which Pulitzer founded. And the first line of that quote, you can see the whole quote. There's a link on my on factsinwashington.org to the plaque site. Picked photo of the plaque. But the point is that the first line is, is what you see, and it's a big, it's an important line. It's, it's one of those seminal quotes that it's only a few words, but it, the meaning and implications are enormous. It is our republic and its press will rise or fall together. And boy, if you want to if you study everything that's happened in this country from 1962 forward, the one thing you're going to see is a nation and its people that is falling because the people are not doing enough 
to to stop that that fall, and the press is not on their side. They're going down with them, right? If the press and the people together will, if, if the people will step up to their civic responsibility and the press will step up to its ethical and journalistic responsibility, we will stop that fall. We will reverse it and we will start rising. Uh, that's the message of the last, uh, for me, the most important message in the last 47 years. And the question is, if, if, if we don't do this, will we fall so far that we will never get up again? And I happen to think that is a very real possibility at this point. And there are plenty of people out there that think the same way, and they express that view in countless ways on the Internet on a thousand forums. Some of it is hyperbolic, some of it's over the top, and some of it's fairly reasoned. But I can assure you, you know, the last 10,000 years is strewn with the wreckage of once glorious uh, nations, monarchies, empires, right, that are now afterthoughts. And anybody who thinks we can't become one of them is simply foolish and not properly uh, read in history. All right, so we act or we don't act. We rise or we fall. So that's why that quote is there. And you're going to be hearing a lot more about that quote. In fact, I just sent out a press release to 4,000 media about six days ago. And that photo and that, that quote was right there. We're trying to appeal to their civic and professional responsibilities. That's the best we can do. I, you know, I don't support violent activism. I will never support it. This is a nonviolent movement. So, you know, uh, beyond petitioning in the most powerful way possible, that's all I'm going to support, and and, that, and hopefully that'll do the job. And by the way, uh, Steve, uh, I want to express our condolences to the families of the Air France uh, crash. Uh, you want answers. We want answers too. Things are, are unclear at this point. But talking about disclosure. We have to take action, as Steve very well said. You cannot expect Steve to do this alone. You cannot expect Mel to do this alone. We have to create a synergy between all of us to take action. You cannot expect the other person to do it for you, because if that's the mindset, we'll never get it done. And talking about the press, all you need to do, and this is why I get cynical, Steve, all you need mm -hmm. to do is find out who the press is. Find out who owns the press. And when you find out that it's only a few corporations that control the world, pharmaceuticals, industrialists, petrochemicals, and so on, they have their own agenda. I keep asking the question, why would anybody want to lose control? Well, that, that's, look, uh, it's an appealing uh, uh, it's an appealing perspective, but, you know, the world is simply more complicated than that. Um, there is no question there has been substantial corporate consolidation of the media in the last uh, 20 years, without question. Right. On one hand. On the other hand, there's been explosion of media options. Right? Seems, it seems contradictory, doesn't it? But that's the way it is. We have more media than we've ever had before. We have more levels of media, more tiers of media than we've ever had before. We have more news coverage than we've ever had before. And, of course, we have a, an entire new genre of information flow, which, unlike the world has ever seen, that's the Internet. Uh, and so um, uh, the General Electric and its network is joined by 10,000 bloggers. Um, Disney Corporation and its network, whoever the hell owns what, I, I don't even keep track anymore, are, are, are joined by you know, 4 million websites. Um, 
it's just not that simple. But I will say this. There's no question that at the high end, where the truth embargo basically operates, the level of the networks, um, the, the corporate consolidation has helped the truth embargo get along. And it didn't hurt that some of the corporations that owned occasionally, that corp- and it varies from time to time, but occasionally you'll actually have a defense contractor owning a media operation, GE, for example. And uh, now you're now you've now you've sort of blended the national security side of the the, the uh, um, um, defense contracting business with the media side. Now you're getting into some deep water. So yeah, this, I think it's facilitated a little bit the truth embargo. But there's plenty of independent m- media represented in the White House press corps. But of course, they're always worried about that. They're worried about their position too. Now, having said all that, um, uh, the the fact is that uh, the media is coming around anyway because there is a growing sentiment within government itself that this truth embargo needs to end. And um, um, so whatever the media's failure in the past, right now, uh, they're pretty much almost on our side. We've just about got we, – we're about to break through to that first tier. Now, at some point in the future, we need to look back on this entire 62 years and go, what went wrong? And well, how can we prevent that from happening again? Uh, but this is, I mean, this is, you know, we're talking about a, a fairly substantial stretch of history here. And let me, let me put it in perspective for you. The truth embargo was, was, was forged between 47 and 52. I mean, they, 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 they realized they were up to their keister and ETs in 47. They had a crash vehicle from Roswell. We think they may have had a crash vehicle from elsewhere. They knew they were dealing with extraordinary stuff. Okay. So, and, and they and they made a decision that they needed to embargo it, contain it. They couldn't just make it a secret because these ETs were flying all over the world. I mean, well, how do you make that a secret? So they had to literally contain the issue itself. Now, when they moved to do that, what were the, was there an internet? No. Was there cable news? No. You know, the television had only been in place for about two years. There were three networks, and, they, and, 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 and the total amount of news was 15 minutes a night. There was no, no, no federal law requiring that, that radio stations run news segments at all. Uh, and then you had your major big-time newspapers, which were huge back then. But uh, there were a few huge papers like the Washington Post and the, uh, I think the Post or its predecessor, the New York Times, the L.A. Times, Chicago Tribune. And, and, and then the rest of the papers, it was like, you know, they're there for the community. But the big papers were were pretty defined. All they had to do was cut deals with those major newspapers and the three networks. Look, stay out of this. National security and off, off and running they go. And it stayed that way, or you know, the, the news media was overly relatively defined for a number of years. And then as the years went by, and the Cold War got worse and worse, and we had crises in Berlin and crises in Cuba and near-nuclear wars, and of course the weapons got bigger and more powerful and more nukes and sub-nukes and everything else, the message that the media had been given that this issue must be contained for national security reasons because we're in a dangerous world was being constantly reinforced. So I'm not surprised that the the people behind the major newspapers and the networks went along with the truth embargo. It didn't it didn't have anything to do with corporate ownership. It was national security, and the Cold War kept re-justifying those decisions. Uh, and and uh, so the cold the cold war is 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 in a way the culprit here. Believe me, the cold war upset a lot of apple carts and prevented a lot of wonderful things from happening. We spent fifteen trillion on it. I sure none of that went to build any schools or hospitals. So uh, by the time the cold war ends in ninety one, the truth embargo now has a forty four year history. It's well established, well before the media starts consolidating. 
And so this is just, it's not as simple as there's a few people that rule the world and they don't want the truth out. I can assure you that the powers that be and the big corporate guys are going to flourish in the post-disclosure world. The energy companies are going to make even more money. The rich are going to get even richer. I can assure you the powers that be are going to be just fine in the post-disclosure world. So it's, it's, it's best to look at the more complicated picture because if you ascribe these kinds of situations to a limited group of, quote, super secret uber power uh, groups, then then the tendency is then to give up and not care. It's like, well, you know, it's the Illuminati. What can you do about the Illuminati? And so why do I want to bother? And this is a mistake because that does not describe the situation, and you need to bother. The people have a lot more power and influence than they, they know, and the Internet has given them tools that I don't think they've even yet figured out how powerful they are. And so the principal problem right now, to be perfectly frank, is not the overwhelming, un, un, unbreachable influence of uh, Uber groups like the Bilderbergers. The problem is the failure to act on the part of American and, 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 and first world citizens. Let's stop blaming the Bilderbergers and start focusing on ourselves. Let's look in the mirror and go, you know, I actually can do a lot here. I'm just not doing anything. Right, and very soon these other groups will. Apathy doesn't take us anywhere. Well, ap- you know, ap- you know, I mean, you could, you know, apathy. Look, if if a super group was in control, like take the super, let, let, this can't happen. Look, the Soviet Union was run by a clique of communist leaders, insiders, who had the entire army and a vast uh, uh, intelligence operation called the KGB at their disposal, and they virtually ran the country. And you did not screw with them. All right, you fool with them, you're in deep trouble. And so, yeah, uh, and they operated in secret, and they lied to their people all the time. And, yeah, there, there was a case where you really had an overarching, controlling Uber group that you, could, you couldn't challenge. And what was the effect? The effect was massive apathy throughout the entire Soviet Union. The only reason people were able to get through the day is, you know, getting drunk on vodka. <laughs> and, and people didn't care, and they didn't work, and productivity was low. And, yeah, so that can happen, and that's an example of it. That's not what's going on here. This isn't the Soviet Union. The Bilderbergers and the Illuminati are not the Communist Party, and we're not operating under that kind of restrictions. We have people that would like to move us there, but we ain't there yet. And so uh, let's, let's, let's uh, get it clear. We have enormous power as citizens in this country. We're just not exercising it. We don't even vote. My God. The voting turnout in Australia is 95%. In France, it's 90%. Here, on a bad year, it's 38%. Uh, I'm sure that some of the off-year primary elections is 20%. We don't vote. We don't act. We don't vote. And then we, we want to then blame what? Corporations for all of our problems? Okay? I'm sorry. It didn't fly. So I'm not shy about this. I've said this before. Uh, the principal culprit in this truth embargo... And the failure to end it is basically the United States government. It's not the failure of the UFO community or the activist community or whatever. It's the government. They imposed it. They maintained it. They spent huge sums of money. All right. The principal culprit in the failure to end it, right, uh, once the window of opportunity started to open since 91, is the American people and in conjunction with them, the press. The government is kind of sort of limp. I mean, by 99, they stopped even enforcing the embargo. It's been operating on its own momentum of its own. And this is true of a lot of other issues. Uh, the principal culprit to, quote, end a situation 
or reform a, a, a circumstance, a status, has been, has, been, has been the American people in conjunction with the press, not the government. You don't blame the government for not reforming itself. You blame the people for not demanding it. We were returning 95% of the American Congress incumbents back into their offices at a time during a period when the American Congress, in my opinion, had become the most ineffectual legislative body in the history of the human race, going back to the Sumerian Empire. And isn't that right about? Isn't oh, that right about now? I'm sorry. Is that what now? Isn't that right about now? The, the most ineffectual Congress we've had in a long time. In the general, lowest ratings? since 1960s, the United States Congress became one of the most, perhaps, in, overall, the most ineffectual legislative body in history. And and I think from a period from about 98 to 2008, it bottomed out. I know that its approval rating hit something like 12 percent around 2003. 12% is beyond low. It's almost incomprehensible. The devil has a higher rating than that, I'm telling you. <laughs> Pick anybody. You know, the son of Sam Killer had a higher approval rating. That Look, uh, it's ineffective. All right. So, and then, and so the American people are not even voting. When they do, they return 95% of the same people to Congress. So who's at fault here? All right. You know, you, 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 I, I will first and foremost blame the American people and the press in conjunction with them for the failure to reform this situation. I blame the government for starting it. I blame the government for the truth embargo. And there's a lot of fighting going on in the UFO community. Everybody's attacking each other and attacking each other's credibility and trying to find fault in each other. Uh, and, and these very same people do almost nothing to challenge the state on this issue. And that's ghetto behavior. That's that's the behavior of people that are confined in a, in a literally, literally in a ghetto. In this case, it's a ufology ghetto, and they're 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 running out of money and time, and, and they're frustrated and angry, and so they're just eating on each other uh, instead of attacking the ghetto walls and breaking them down. That's human nature, I understand. But let's be clear: the government is the, is at fault for this embargo being in place, and the American people are at fault for not ending it. All right. And so now the government has kind of let go of the reins. Now we need to pull the horses to a stop. I mean, you know, are you going to do it or not do it? Now, there are a lot of other issues out there that people need to act on. I know. So there's a lot of other people demanding their time and attention. I know. And I hope that they, 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 they join in on this. But I can only take on one thing at a time, and, 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 and the issue is the truth embargo. We can end it or not end it, and I think we have the opportunity. We need to get those letters into the White House press corps. We need the copies of the Obama letters sent to the White House press corps, care of the White House Correspondent Association. Let's get about twenty, thirty thousand in there. Hmm, that'll do it. I assure you, that will be news. We have to take a, a, a one and only break, but before I say that, you mentioned the infighting in the UFO community. That's exactly what the powers that be want: divide and conquer. Isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, sure. And sometimes they, they deliberately uh, uh, create it, and sometimes it just happens, and they just they're happy to have it. But you know, I've talked about this issue. One day I'm going to write a book on this. It's the intellectual ghettoization of ufology. I mean, the way you the way you marginalize an issue in a people, an idea, whatever, is you have to ghettoize it. And it's, I, it's a ghetto is the perfect analogy. You 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 literally you 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 find a a, 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 a core aspect of it, and then you start heaping ridicule on it, and then you and you, you, stick, you, you stick people to it, like building up a giant ball of, you know, 
string or wax. You know, I mean, it's just you keep sticking people to it, and so everybody that gets stuck to that ridicule core is now de- minimized, and and you keep right. marginalizing it that way. You you cre- in this case the walls on our ghetto, the, the ghetto of ufology are made of ridicule. In the case of Germany, they made real walls. You know, they actually walled in the ghettos. But so this wall of ridicule becomes the ghetto wall. Everybody's stuck behind it. So you may be an astronaut, but you're thrown into the ghetto. And once you talk UFOs, and 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 you make it clear, you know, that's not a good place to be. And so the press doesn't want to be thrown in that ghetto. So they they stay outside of it, and you're not allowed to fraternize and whatever. Now inside that ghetto wall, inside those ghetto walls, things start to deteriorate pretty quickly, because you've been separated from the mainstream culture. People get divorced, families are broken up, jobs are lost, you know, you don't get funding, you can't advance, you run out of money, whatever, right? And so then you start attacking each other, like rats in a stuck in a cage without food. You start eating each other. Well, you know, this is why ghetto behavior, ghettoization is a awful policy. I mean, it's, it's one of the absolute worst things a government can do. It's Machiavellian policy to the max. And we need a ghetto-free future. We need a, we need a don't ask, don't tell government uh, in the future, and we need a ghetto-free government in the future. We don't be ghettoizing anybody or anything as government policy ever again. Well, so also, that's the message. Also, Steve, there's a new generation of ufologists uh, out there. Uh, Exopolitics doing a great job recruiting people around the world. You saw it at the X conference. How many young people you had there from all over the world yeah. who want to take and embrace this? But before we take a break, I have a question, and I also want to mention your websites and so on. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about the steps toward pre-disclosure, but we don't talk about much what happens after disclosure. I want to take a moment yeah. after the break to talk about how this world will be drastically different after disclosures. Why don't you go ahead and mention your websites and how do people get in touch with you and your work? Well, the main website, which is a portal to all the other stuff, is Paradigm, P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M, paradigmresearchgroup.org. There you can find links to the main PRG site as well as to the X conference site, uh, x-conference.com, and, to the, and then to the facts on Washington.site. Or you can go straight to it, facts, F-A-X, on Washington.org. Uh, but that's that's the home of Paradigm Research Group uh, and its advocacy efforts. And uh, but it's linked uh, to countless other organizations, groups, books, activities. It's a it's it's a, there's over 10,000 external links on the Paradigm Research Group websites, leading to it takes you everywhere you want to go. It takes you to all the other organizations. And and there there is a new generation of ufologists, but there's also a new emerging field that's actual politics. That's right. And that is, that's the social political engagement of the issue, which is where the resolution of this will take place. And uh, when we have resol- resolved the issue and gotten disclosure, then the importance of the u- u- ufologists and their research will be dramatically enhanced. And, and I expect that they will have a greater opportunity to, to, to be acknowledged and also to, to have what they've done brought into the public domain or be better known and better appreciated. Uh, so they're linked. There's no question they're linked. But the the resolve the res- resolution of this issue is a political act, and it's an extra political activism that's that's underway. And we needed new language, we needed a new umbrella under which to operate in order to be more inclusive, to draw more people in. And that's why exopolitics is important, and, and, and that's exactly what's happening. And that's it. We'll be right back with here with Stephen Bassett. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to the Veritas Show. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. 
This is Yvonne Smith, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. <laughs> 